Why that change? Why were there many following and then why did many leave? We might think that it had something to do with the motivation of following Jesus in the first place. That same second verse of chapter 6 tells us because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were deceased. Healing of sick people had to be dramatic. There, there was something exciting about seeing people who were bent over, people who were infirm, people who were sick of various kinds of things, suddenly being well and knowing that it was not a doctor's treatment, but the great physician who had made them well. And so some followed Jesus likely because of the excitement of following him. But there's more to it than that, of course, if you're familiar with the chapter. Because a great multitude of people enjoyed a free meal miraculously provided to them by Jesus. Under the supervision of Jesus, a lad's small lunch had fed 5,000 men. It's doubtful that those 5,000 men had dainty appetites. But the text says that they were filled and even after being filled, 12 baskets of fragments were taken up. A great meal for people who were following Jesus. And they got so excited about what Jesus was doing, maybe the healing of sick people and the feeding of a multitude, they got so excited that the text says they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. Maybe the idea began to spread through that multitude of men and, and the idea was, look, here is our opportunity for a savior, not a savior from sin, but a savior from Rome. If we can make this guy our king, maybe he will lead us in a successful revolt against the Roman government. Jesus would have nothing to do with that, of course. Later he would say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Jesus didn't come to become an earthly king. And so he departs by himself. And the next day, Jesus is again pressed because there is a hope on the part of the multitude for free food again. But instead of Jesus providing that miraculous meal a second time, they heard Jesus say that he was the bread of life. If you look at verse 35 of John 6, he says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He could feed them in a way that would alleviate their hunger and their thirst permanently. Verse 41 says that brought complaints. Jesus spoke to them again, and in verse 52 we're told that the people quarreled among themselves. Jesus spoke again. 
Here is what he said beginning at verse 53. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Well, the listeners now are really stirred up. And their complaint in verse 60 is stated this way, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? The Greek word that is translated hard in the New King James Version does not mean difficult to understand. It means difficult to accept. This is a grinding statement. This is, this is something we don't really want to hear. We don't want to accept this. And so people came to a crossroad. And the crossroad was now one of two different paths. The first is seen in verse 66, as you heard the reading. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The second in verse 68, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I think those two responses are worth considering in greater detail. And not just because of the setting in which they first occurred. Because the truth of the matter is, every person, you, me, all of us, come to that same crossroad. The crossroad of rejection or the crossroad of acceptance. First of all, we see a sad deflection or defection. Verse 66 says that many of those who considered themselves disciples left Jesus. The question we would ask is, were they really disciples? A disciple is not only a learner, but one who follows. We sang, where he leads, I will follow. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. But here were people who didn't want to abide in this word. And maybe their leaving brings several different thoughts to our minds. One of those thoughts is that some people will never be disciples of Jesus. They just, they won't be false disciples or pseudo or part-time disciples. They'll just never be disciples. They're not going to follow Jesus because they're not willing to accept his teachings. They're hard. They grind on them. Perhaps they would claim to follow him. If our Lord allowed them to believe and to practice what they wanted to believe or practice. 
There are likely people who think about Jesus in those terms. If if he would just let me do or be what I want to be and do what I want to do, yeah, I'd be his disciple. But if the Lord's demands don't meet their desires, they refuse to follow him. Preconceived ideas often clash with revealed truths. It did in this case. Some could not believe that Jesus could give them the words of life. And because they already believed he couldn't, when he wanted to give them the words of life, they wouldn't accept it. And then there are some people who will be disciples or followers up to a particular point. But when it comes to real submission, when it comes to real acceptance, when it comes to real commitment, the crowd tends to thin out, thin out, doesn't it? If you remember in Luke the ninth chapter, and if you'll turn there just a moment, in Luke the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 57, Luke records, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Listen, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. Here is someone who wants to be a real disciple. I'll follow you anywhere, wherever. And Jesus' response, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What were they looking for? Was Jesus going to get them a free room? Was he going to get them a meal ticket? Was he going to provide everything for them? He didn't even have a home of his own. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We know this, those who left Jesus didn't improve themselves. Le leaving wasn't an advantage, it was definitely a disadvantage to their lives. Because in the process of leaving Jesus, they had cut themselves off from the bread of life. And the only thing that awaited them now was spiritual starvation, because if they were not going to eat the bread of life, which he was, they would surely starve to death spiritually. I want you please to note this. Jesus did not apologize for what he had taught. He really didn't run after those who had left him, offering to soften his message, doing anything that they wanted him to do to make him acceptable or palatable to them. Jesus wants followers. He wants disciples. But he will never seek them at the expense of truth. You and I have no right to change his requirements for discipleship. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't come to him and negotiate with him. He doesn't negotiate. You either submit to him, do it his way, accept his will, or you reject him. 
a great multitude rejected him. We're glad there was another response. And while there was a sad defection, there was also a happy declaration. Because Jesus wants to save people, those who deserted him must have brought disappointment to him. Sometimes we forget the humanity of Christ and the fact that Jesus could be hurt, not just physically, but he could hurt because those who would turn away from him. And so now he is left facing the apostles and he must ask them, what about you? What will you do? Do you want to also go away? I suppose we would expect Peter to be the one who would speak up. He often did. And he answers the Lord's question with both a question and an affirmation. The question is, Lord, to whom shall we go? And in saying that, Peter sets Christ apart. It is like saying, to whom else could we go? If he were to go away, who would be the one to whom we would go? In Peter's mind, no one is what Jesus is. In verse 69, Peter said, Also we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there's also that affirmation in verse 68. You have the words of eternal life. Several things need to be noted about Peter's belief. He believed in something beyond physical life. He did not think this is all there is, this life. He believed in a life that would last for eternity, and he is correct in that. We remember his inspired words in, in, in 1 Peter 1 verse 4. In that verse, he refers to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, that is, for Christians. He believed, Peter did, that Jesus would be responsible for people being able to enjoy that eternal existence. Later, Peter would hear Jesus say, as would others, in John 14, verse 6, that no one could come to the Father except through him. That he was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life. And no one would reach the Father without going through Christ. Remember the context in which Jesus said those words in John 14. He preceded those words by saying that he was going to prepare a place for his disciples that they could be with him where he was. Peter also believed that teaching was associated with finding eternal life. In verse 69, he says, you have the words of eternal life. And those who choose not to accept the teachings of Jesus, whatever those teachings are, cannot expect to enjoy eternal life with him because he alone has the words of eternal life. You don't get to choose which words you accept and which words you reject. You either accept them all or you reject them all. Now, as I close this morning, I want to go back to Peter's question. 
But I want us to ask it for ourselves. Lord, to whom shall we go? We know that we don't dare depend on ourselves for words of eternal life. We don't allow our feelings to dictate what is right and what is wrong because man's feelings can often be misleading. The wise man said in Proverbs 14 verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And sincerity alone, no matter how strong that sincerity is, is not as good as truth. We don't want to let ourselves think that the opinions of men or that human wisdom can bring us eternal happiness because they can't. If we follow the majority, we're going to lose our souls. We mentioned in class this morning and perhaps in your class, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. It's very clearly stated by our Lord that there are few that find eternal life and there are many who walk the broad way that leads to eternal destruction. The only one who has the words of eternal life is Jesus. And don't allow yourself, please, to be a pseudo-disciple. Sometimes people mistakenly think, even good people mistakenly think, that convenient discipleship is good enough. I'll do it my way in following him. That's not the way it works. Because committed discipleship is the only way. His words, words of eternal life, call for belief in him as the Son of God. Except you believe that I am he, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. He's the only way, and so we must believe in him. But also those words of Jesus call for repentance of our sins. Except you repent, he told people, you shall all likewise perish. Same thing could be said to us directly. His words call for confession of our faith in him. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But he also warns, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. He can't be untrue if we deny him now. He can't confess us to the Father in heaven. His words call for a new birth, a birth of water and of the Spirit, baptism, so that our sins can be washed away. If you had been there that day, if you had been there that day, would you have turned away from Jesus? Or would you have affirmed your faith in him, as Peter did? But you weren't there that day. But you are here today. And so the question for you today is, not only to whom should you go, but to whom have you gone for the words of eternal life. Are you a Christian? Can't say that you follow Jesus if you're not a Christian. Have you been obedient to his will? If not, would you like to be obedient now? We'd be glad to help you in rendering obedience. If you're a Christian, you've not been living faithful, a faithful life. You must ask yourself this, why have I turned away from the only one who has the words of eternal life? If you need to come back, to that Christ, that sacred Son of God. Why don't you come back now? Let us pray with you and for you to be restored. We ask you to come while we stand and sing. Jesus is tenderly.
Today. 